Hi FM presents South African politics and news with the South African Institute of Race Relations. The IRR show, independent, relevant and real, is hosted by Big Daddy Liberty and Sarah Gon every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10, promoting life, liberty and property rights. Very pleased to have our guest Jordan Griffiths on the line. Before we get into the interview, let me give you his, little, his biography. He is the policy advisor in the mayor's office in the city of Chwani. He has also served as a city councillor in the city after being elected in 2016. He has previously worked as a head media strategist and as a consultant in the realm of security and political risk analysis. His academic background is based in politics and economics with a master's degree in security studies. He, is, he was chosen as a Mandela Washington Fellow in 2018 and was also awarded the prestigious Abe Bailey Travel Scholarship during his studies. Jordan, great welcome. Uh, thank you, Sarah, uh, for having me. Um, I'll tell you how I came upon you, so to speak. Um, I read an article that you wrote for Daily Maverick about the fact, I think, that it's one in five municipalities is dysfunctional. And what, what, how, why they are dysfunctional? The, sort of the, the, the various um, issues that that lead to dysfunctionality, and what I, I don't know what, if anything, one can do about it. Um, can I ask you just to give an introduction as to this, why the state of our municipalities are as they are? Uh, sh- sure, Sarah. So, I mean the. The article was based on a presentation that was made at, um, at, at Kochta, uh, by the Deputy Minister of Kochta, Parks Tau. Uh, that's the Cooperative Governance of Traditional Affairs, which has oversight on, um, local government across the country. And, I mean, essentially it indicated how many municipalities were under administration formally in terms of what's called a Section 139 intervention, um, in terms of the Constitution whereby the provincial government essentially intervenes in a local municipality because there's been what's termed to be a failure in the delivery of an executive obligation. And and so, I mean, in, in that particular presentation, it was indicated that there were over 40 municipalities that were under administration, uh, and, the major, and the majority of them are, are local municipalities, often rural municipalities, you know, Populations of, you know, maybe a few tens of thousands or, or, or maybe just a few hundred thousand in some cases. Mm. And it, it's, it's, it's deeply disturbing because it, it, it's a growing trend. In fact, that number is the highest it's ever been in the country's history. And, and what's omitted from those discussions that many municipalities are, uh, the, the fact that a municipality is under administration is one way to indicate that it's, that, that it's, that it's collapsed. But in fact, many municipalities across the country should be under administration, mm. but politically they are not placed under administration because it's not convenient uh, to the provincial government at the time to do so. So, you know, the the, the number I suspect, which, which I presented, was one in five, but I suspect it's actually much, much higher in terms of the state of actual local government collapse mm. in the country. One gets the impression um, that it's almost like the, the collapse comes, we've had 26 years of democracy and there's a point at which if if you don't have real skills and and uh, honesty in charge of the municipalities the collapse suddenly starts to happen because everything starts to wear off break down etc but you and you mentioned that the, the sort of first sign 
the things are going wrong is when um, financial controls start to fa- start to fall apart. Could you just elaborate on that? Sure. So, I mean, initially, initially, what you see with these uh, uh, rural municipalities is that their their revenue starts drying up, and and all municipalities in the country they they receive revenue from the sale of uh, electricity and water in some cases. Um, sometimes electricity is sold directly by Eskom to residents, but in many cases, it, it, uh, a municipality acts as an intermediary. They charge property rates, and they'll make sort of a, a minor amount of money from the applications that they approve for development, etc. And they'll receive, in many cases, significant government grants. Um, and what we've seen is that um, the ability to collect and stabilize revenue collection has largely, in many cases, gone to hell in these municipalities. And 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 it starts firstly with a a, a inability to issue bills properly, to issue bills accurately and on time and to ensure that your billing system is up to date. And once that happens, you then stop receiving revenue because people stop paying their bills. And when people stop paying their bills, you need to then institute debt control. You need to actually, you know, physically, you know, issue, you know, hand it over to lawyers or make sure you have a debt recovery system. And this then ultimately fails. And what you gradually see then is that the revenue collection rates, which should be, you should ideally opt for between 90 to 95% of the revenue that you bill, you should collect. And that slowly drops. It drops, it drops sort of gradually and then it drops very quickly. Um, it drops below 90, drops below 80, drops below 75. And, and then, then you, then you get into big, big trouble because obviously an entire municipality's budget is, is based on the revenue it's going to receive in the future. And mm-hmm. so as that happens, you start quite literally running out of money to fund particular projects. And I mean, COVID obviously is, is going to create some immense challenges because even in major metropolitans, they saw revenue rates in the months of April and in May drop to as low as 65% for the month, which is, you know, obviously as a result of the, the economic climate. But in many municipalities, rural municipalities, this is a, a continued trend. And when, when that revenue starts, starts dropping, you start seeing that these municipalities, they then start trying to plug holes with other money. So one thing in particular is they stop paying ESCOM. So if they act as an intermediary for ESCOM, they will bill you for your electricity. So they'll be billing residents for ESCOM. They'll bill you, they'll, they'll, you know, they'll collect 20 million rands, say, in the month for electricity sales. But instead of paying that to ESCOM, they'll plug that into the operational expenses. And then what happens is Eskom, once the debt reaches, you know, exorbitant levels, they start cutting off electricity and power. And, and then a series of other services start going as well. From your article, that essentially the, the, the critical positions in a municipality are your chief financial officer and your city manager. And how many of, of people in those positions actually have the skills, which are seemingly com- complex, to, to manage the uh, the uh, the offices that they run. So it's a it's an important point, here, Sarah. I mean, the 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 city manager is the chief accounting officer in mm-hmm. in 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 a municipality, and this means that he or she would have oversight on on spending, on procurement, on revenue collection, on the expenditure of the capital budget. You know, the budget that's used to build infrastructure, build sewage networks, build roads. Um, oversight on the staff in the city, the recruitment of staff. Essentially, they they are the kind of CEO 
of, mm. of the municipality. And as the CEO, you can imagine that they would report into the political leadership, which would be a mayor and a group of MMCs who are almost like the board, if you can imagine, mm. Mm. Um, board mm. with the chairperson, you know, that kind of feeds in. This is the kind of interaction. But ultimately, what very few people uh, miss when they when they look at local, local government is that core administrative power sits with the city manager. Everything that gets signed off gets signed off by the city manager. When money is released, um, when debt is written off, when loans when loans are entered into, they are done by the city manager. And so the individual who assumes that post must be multi-skilled, multi-talented in mm. a vast array of fields. Otherwise, they will come up horribly short. And, and in rural municipalities in particular, because of their, their, their small size, there aren't often that many departments. So there is often a, a critical shortage of skills already that exists. Mm. And so in many cases, for instance, like even your CFO, um, your CFO may become a person who, for instance, is in charge of all the financial functions um, and has no support underneath un, underneath. Uh, th- their position. So in other words, they're in charge of, you know, dispensing supply chain, uh, releasing salaries and uh, uh, approving, approving bonds, etc., which channels up to the city manager because there's no middle management tier because the municipality itself is too small. Mm-hmm. And if these individuals are compromised, you've got big challenges. And a, a good example is VBS uh, mm-hmm. and what happened in VBS, which was basically a, a scheme whereby the funds in municipalities were channeled out of those municipalities and invested in the VBS bank. Mm-hmm. Now, in order to do that, you must have the buy-in of the CFO and the accounting officer. In some cases, the accounting officer or the, the, the city manager can totally bypass the CFO and just mm-hmm. sign off. But, you know, these, these are critical gatekeepers and people that protect, um, you know, residents and, and ratepayers from, from the abuse of public funds. If they don't have the right skills or if they don't have the right moral judgment, um, they can very quick, quickly lead a, a municipality into decline. In that case, given the, the skills that are required and the complexity, um, are we largely seeing a consequence of putting in place people who are chosen by other people for reasons other than performing a function, uh, or certainly not a function to the residents, but perhaps to the uh, to the party? Indeed, what what you see is sort of sort of pervasive cater deployment um, and. The, the challenge is is that in rural municipalities, it's often um, it, it's not often reported about. You know, it's 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 very it's very understated. You know, you don't realize what's mm. happening there until it's gone. It's until it's gone to hell. You know, if you, if you can imagine. Mm. Um, uh, uh, but uh, in in big metropolitans, um, you you can't quite get away with these kind of things because there's a lot of mm. eyes on the vast sums. Um, and mm. and even national treasury has tried to assist. I mean, there are. There is legislation which dictates the type of qualifications that people in these roles should even have. And so, you know, in, in, in some cases, there's been rural municipalities who, who have hired city managers and their appointments have been taken to court because they didn't have the qualifications that mm. are stipulated that they must have. And they've been removed from their posts. Mm. But, but in many cases, um, the, 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 the people that are occupying these positions, while they may have the qualifications, they most certainly do not have the skills or the depth of experience to, to authoritatively manage a, a, a city or a town um, and, and have no embedded history in, in, in local government. Mm. So is this, is this where consultants come in? Um, or is it sort of reaching out to, employ, to contractor consultants to help them out because things are the skills are not there, their situation may be coming dire, so they rely on, on outside providers 
what did I get from them? You are 100% correct. You are, you, you, you've kind of hit the nail on the head. So what you see is as they sort of, as this gradual decline, uh, sits in, um, into a, into a local municipality, there is this rush to then bring in external providers to then, to then start doing what should be a core, uh, a, a core deliverable within the, within the municipality. Um, so you'll, you'll have companies or consultants coming in who are then trying to rearrange staff structures or trying to do total project management on your, on your capital budget. Um, or are playing an active role sometimes and even drafting bid specifications, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I mean, this is, this is incredibly dangerous because then the entire process gets largely captured because you've, you've kind of debased the internal skills capacity that you need. And, and you become then heavily dependent on external service providers, uh, to, to, to assist, M- many of whom on, have, have no vet, like vested interest. In seeing the municipality run, you know, they're, they're, they're there to sell their skills and trade. And in many cases, they'll produce reports that are just ignored because they are, sometimes they can be quite scathing and critical and to the point in terms of identifying. These are the key problems. You need to remove these people. You need to, you need to stop hiring in this division or you need to, you know, totally, um, uh, you know, sell off these assets. And often those reports will sit. And they'll never be implemented, but merely, you know, a few million will be spent on their development. Um, yeah, I mean, it seems like uh, the, you get the catch-22 that as time goes by, the, the, the skills within the municipality just don't improve. So the, 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 the uh, consultants may come, or come and go and probably take very hefty fees for it. Um, but nothing, nothing improves. Uh, they, they, they don't get sort of trained back into the jobs that they are supposed to hold. Uh, am I right on that? It becomes a sort of position of stasis. So, so what you what you what, what you have is a sort of a deadly compound effect. Or in local municipalities, as they collapse, businesses leave. So people leave, and 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 the first place that those people go, they generally move to big urban centres. So as local municipalities collapse, you have sort of this rapid rise in urbanization as people are like, well, we can't live in our, our old hometown anymore because it's just, it's falling apart. But what also happens is that the skilled officials that may have existed in that municipality then leave as well to pursue mm-hmm. opportunities in, in the bigger metros. And, and one mm-hmm. of the things that you have to appreciate is that met, uh, municipalities are graded from a, a grade, uh, I think grade one to grade 10. And, and that grading reflects the salary scales for certain positions. So, you know, a, a CFO of a rural municipality, um, you know, in Limpopo will earn pretty much half of what a CFO earns, you know, in a major metropolitan. So, you know, you're the, 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 the directors, et cetera, all of these staff will then gradually, if they see things are not going well, they'll start leaving and you'll, you'll, you'll lose then the critical skills and institutional knowledge and that that exists in these local municipalities, which just further accelerates their gradual decline. As as these yeah. people leave, because because their municipalities are collapsing, it kind of furthers the decline that takes place in the local municipality because of this exodus of um, of local municipal officials. And I mean, one of the one of the kind of ideas I've often thought about is whether or not, from a state perspective, there's a need to try and you know. You know, students who are studying within the realm of public administration or even finance or economics, there, there should be programs which seek to even place these students in rural municipalities um, to try and actually facilitate a strengthening of, of skills there because there is no active 
you know, headhunting for skills to go out and work, you know, in, 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 in a district somewhere in, in, in a rural area. And, and the result of that is that there's this sort of systematic decline in, uh, in, in, in various towns and cities across the country. Uh, my impression from what you're saying is that even since the last local elections of 2016, um, I mean, they, they were a jolt enough, uh, at the time, but what is your sense for 2021? Because it, it seems like whatever went has been wrong in, in delivery at that level um, has magnified by some order. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting question, Sarah. I um, you know, there's obviously lots of views and, and forecasting on what would happen next year. And at the moment, because of COVID, we haven't had any by-elections very recently. The next the next round mm-hmm. of by-elections is going to be taking place. Um, I think on the 3rd of November, and there's, a, there's about mm. 150 that are scheduled across the country. And perhaps that will give us a, a somewhat of an indication of, um, of, of how the, of the perception towards the different political parties uh, that are operating at a local governmental level. But at the mm. moment, what you, what you're seeing very much is you, you see, a, 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 in some cases, you, you'll generally see the biggest changes in the metropolitans. Um, and, oh, and this okay. is where, this is where big change happens. And if that big change sticks, then often it um, it kind of expands to local municipalities that are nearby. So, in mm-hmm. other words, when 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 a big city changes, uh, when the, when the form of government or the form of political party in a big city changes, and they're able to stay there and do well, residents who are living in other localities close to that metropolitan have a tendency to then change their voting preference because they mm-hmm. see. The benefits that are taking place. A, a good example of that is 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 the, is the DA's gradual growth in the Western Cape. It didn't. Mm-hmm. It, it obviously didn't happen overnight. It started with the capture of a major metropolitan in Cape Town, and then gradually kind of grew out. Local municipalities then then shifted their preference, and then finally the provi- the province as well uh, shifted over. And that, that's kind of the trend that you'll see. So th- this will be what will be interesting to watch uh, for next year, particularly around possibly Gauteng and the localities that, that, that feed into Gauteng. But in places like Limpopo, for instance, um, you'll find that the ANC has an incredibly strong presence in local mm. municipalities in Limpopo, despite the fact that an, an exceptional amount of them have been run into the ground. You, you mm. know, it's, it's, it, you, you see this repeated voting behavior that, that's almost, you know, cutting off your nose to spite your face type of uh, approach. And it's, 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 for me, sometimes it's unexplainable. Um, it, it's mm. very difficult to truly, truly unpack. But, um, Jordan, will you, will you hang on for a few more minutes? We're going to go to an ad break and then, uh, Seth and I probably want to ask you some strange questions thereafter. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. We're in conversation, of course, with Jordan Griffith, who is um, quite the guru and the, the expert on the issues of local municipalities. I think this has been a rather uh, captivating conversation. Maybe you are someone who's thinking about the state of your local municipality, wherever you are listening to this broadcast. Um, Jordan, I, the one question I wanted to pose, just having listened to this in-depth conversation, is again, that relationship between, because I think it's an important facet of this conversation that we need to sort of get out a lot, which is the relationship with, you know, uh, between the voter and really the resident and the local municipality, the local administration. 
Um, I think there's two questions I want to pose to you on this regard. The one is, do you feel as though the average resident, the average voter perhaps has a strong command on issues related to how they're governed at a local government election? And the second question relates to, you know, um, this growing voice that we're maybe picking up. I don't know if I'll let you also chime in to see if you've also been hearing it, um, of residents basically saying, you know what, fed up with our local administration, We'll, think, we'll do things on our own. You know, what are your views around that too? Thanks, Dietle. I think I think many many citizens um, who live in local municipalities have a strong have a strong grasp of the issues that affect their lives um, directly. Because you know, at, at a local municipality, there's there's core deliverables that you need: electricity, water. You need your waste collected. Uh, you need infrastructure repaired, roads repaired. You know, so you can you you see the impact of government. You know, at, at a national and provincial level, people are often removed. They're disconnected. They're maybe not quite sure about the, the behemoth of national government and how it may directly impact their lives. But but at a local level, I mean, focusing on those core basic service deliverables, deliverables. I think uh, the, the majority of residents have a very core understanding of what's. Of, of what they need and, and, and what will directly impact their lives. And this is, you know, this is, you generally find this across areas in, in a city. So in, in, in suburban areas, those, um, those residents will have a strong idea about what's important to them, you know, in terms of, in terms of infrastructure and reliability of basic services. But in rural areas as well, you'll find that residents there who are looking to have new housing settlements built, new infrastructure installed, um, new electricity lines installed. They also understand exactly what is expected from um, from the from the local government. So on, on that front, I think there's a strong a, a, a strong association that residents have with with what they expect from uh, from their local uh, municipality. Um, in relation to your your second question, I think you know. I mean, one of the one of the kind of I don't want to say philosophy approaches that I, I think about in relation to local government, particularly in, in my own role. Is how we try and empower residents to to take more control over the areas in which they live, and how do you cultivate that sort of independence? Um, and 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 so, for instance, from a policy perspective, um, you know, there, there there are things that you can do where you try and create a relationship where 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 resident groups and associations are able to have a, a more hands-on approach in terms of how they you know how they lead their communities. You know, things like uh, gated communities, for instance, or controlled access areas where there are booms, you know, which are being led by resident associations, etc., which seek to alleviate crime, you know, because there's been, for instance, in this case, a, a failure in sort of policing at a national level. So here you've got local government coming in and trying to create the mechanism whereby residents can um, can, can can try and get, get involved in securing their neighbourhoods. In, in my uh, in my current role, I'm trying to get approved a policy in in the city of Sony, which speaks to um, uh, uh, adopting a spot. So looking at public spaces where there's a need for community gardens or that has no commercial commercial viability, where communities that are living around that area might want to convert that space into something that's usable. Um, you know, whether it be planting flowers there or anything along those lines. So I think that's quite important. In relation to the, the 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 critical point you raised in that second question, which is the frustration that citizens have, um, I, I think that's very real, and and you can see that in the way in which, for instance, people are going off grid with electricity, and I mean this is this is a very interesting trend because people are now they're installing solar panels or they're trying to find ways in which they get off the the the, the national grid, and for municipalities this is deeply problematic because it's also a revenue a revenue income stream. 
So there's this like kind of, uh, you know, big, big reluctance to, to necessarily, um, facilitate this process because you also to a certain extent, you, you may well significantly impact your revenue in the future. And ironically, for instance, I can, I can speak to my own city in the city of Tswane. Some of the big companies that are based here, for instance, um, BMW, um, who has, you know, we have many, you have a big automotive sector in the city. They have a global goal, which is to essentially be fully renewable. I think the last time I engaged them, it was by 2020 or 2025. So their local plant here in, in Tswane has got to Basically get off the national grid. They have a, they have an international imperative to get more green energy. So they're investing in a lot of their own energy sources, um, or they're engaging with private energy contractors to, to, to get, to get more energy and essentially are gradually cutting out the municipality. And so that's happening on a business front, but it's also happening on an individual basis. And I mean, this, this is an inherent challenge. I mean, and, and, and folks do it with water as well, where they install boreholes. You know, some can, some can't. But I think those are very real concerns because, um, because people have lost faith in, in, uh, lost faith in their local government. Um, Jordan, does this, uh, does this really mean that given these, these moves, some of which will be irrevocable, that that government really has to look at completely redesigning how, um, Municipalities work. Um, in other words, we're working on an old model. It's been dysfunctional for, it's become dysfunctional for a whole lot of reasons. Um, but it actually may have coincided with a moving along. The whole nature of municipalities have probably got to get smaller, leaner and tighter. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. The, 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 the type of technology that is coming out, uh, is, is really eroding the, 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 the current model that exists to sustain municipalities at, at a local level. And in, increasingly, uh, people are, are seeking to pursue, um, opportunities that allow them less dependence on the government, particularly on the locality. So some services will, will, will likely remain entrenched at certain levels. But, but in many cases, the model is, as you correctly pointed out, indeed uh, under threat to a large extent. And, and you also need to start thinking about how you can really enable the space instead of fighting it. Uh, and I'll give you an example. I think it's in, in, in the Western Cape or in Cape Town. They've created a, a kind of a green loan, which essentially says that if you are someone who intends to install a solar panel at your house, the, the cost of that is significant up to say, you know, to do it properly is about a hundred thousand rand or so. And what they, what the government essentially have decided is said, you can you can do this, and you can access a loan facility from the state, which is attached to your property rates. And so you mm-hmm. can install this power. You can install this power, uh, this alternative power source on your roof, etc., and, and slowly go off grid. And at least you know that the debt is attached to your property rates. So in other mm-hmm. words, if you leave your house, if you leave your house after five years, but you haven't paid off the debt, it will become the new owner's debt because the mm-hmm. infrastructure is there. And so what you do is you don't, you don't have a situation where people are going, oh, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I wanna go solar, but it's gonna cost me 150,000 rand. And in order to get the value from it, I really need to stay in this house for at least 10 years. So mm-hmm. if you start thinking about those kind of creative solutions, it becomes quite, you know, you, now you're suddenly getting into a space where you're enabling people to leverage, you know, leverage their, leverage debt, advance their property, but then also not force them to stay there because they need to get the value out of this alternative solution. So I think there's, there's a lot of ways in which municipalities need to think about those types of models, 
where they can still kind of protect revenue stream because they're essentially giving people loans yeah, to a certain extent, um, mm-hmm. but also enabling sort of technological changes into the future. Um, Jordan, I think we have to call it a day there. Thank you very, very much. It's actually, I think, a much more fascinating, intricate issue than the many that many of us would would have thought. And uh, I'd certainly like to get you back again to take the matter further and perhaps to ask you some slightly difficult political questions. But once again, thank you very much, and uh, uh, glad we managed to sort out technicalities. Cool. Thank you, Claire and Sarah, and to all the listeners as well. Have a great day.